Blog Talk Radio. Warning. You have entered the realm of the gods. So give us your mind and your full attention. So you say you deal with esoteric information? I never heard of such. Well, you're in for a treat. Blog Talk, Blog Talk, this is the Blog Talk. I lean hell bay dropping jewels every day. Blog Talk, Blog Talk, this is the Blog Talk. Metaphysical, we deal with the spiritual. Blog Talk, Blog Talk, this is the Blog Talk. I lean hell bay dropping jewels every day. Blog Talk, Blog Talk, this is the Blog Talk. Metaphysical, we deal with the spiritual. So you claim to be a god? Damn right I'm a god. The maker, the owner, cream of the planet Earth, father of civilization, god of the universe. Mathematically, the information he drop is real powerful. So get your notepad, it's more than an hour full. Watch your jaw, the crew is watching talk. Indigenous to the land, wherever we stand. First world order, we bringing it home in the first quarter. Invisible lines don't apply, we cross borders. Silly rabbit, knowledge for gods. No matter where you resign, lies, temple of Mars. So don't fret or proceed with hesitation. Just tune in to Blog Talk to get the information. Peace. A haote washita e, meaning my may my spirit and your spirit spring forth with the jaguar. I'm your host tonight. I'm Brother Fahim Wittringel, filling in for Dr. Asur Aline Nutapak El Bay. They're having a bad uh, thunderstorm down there where they're at, so I'm going to fill in for them tonight, and and I hope you'll bear with me and. Make our uh, night joyful for the night. We'll have some information for you tonight dealing with uh, Negro, Black, uh, Colorable Law, Indigenous, Aborigine, or Aboriginal, Birthright, Nationality, and things of that that order. So, okay. Let's begin. I hear, well, the reason why I want to speak on that because I hear a lot of uh, so-called scholars on YouTube uh, still stuck on this thing being black, still stuck on being black. And as I said before, my previous uh, lectures on the uh, previous blog talk shows, uh, I've been hearing this mess since I was, uh, 15 years old, back in 1968, here I am going on 64 years old. And to me, that's ancient. You know, there's nothing new about it. And since I long, learned long ago that black is an adjective, not a, a, a no, and, and not an identity of anyone on the planet. So why do they keep holding on, keep holding on to that? Uh, it's beyond me. Uh, no. So I'm going to hit it again dealing with why some of us call even Indians and why some uh, so-called Native Americans, the Algonquin people, were called Negroes. You know, even sometimes even uh, certain Japanese were called Negroes at one time during the 16th and 17th centuries. You know, 
why did they apply that caste system to them? You know, so I'm going to go into a lot of that. I'm going to go into uh, some of the works of uh, the Great Seal Moors and some of the, uh, we all are under the Great Seal. So I want to get that straight. We all under the Great Seal. Whether you're Nanakol, Ananapi, Washita, Choctaw, Chickasaw, uh, uh, Seminole, Blackfeet, Crow, or whatever, we all under the Great Seal. So I'm going to get that understanding out of out there right now. Uh, using some of their literature, Taj Tariq Bay, uh, some of Jose Pimiata Bay's book from Othello's Children of the West. And there were some critics about Othello's Children in the West, in the, Othello's Children in the New World. That's what it is, the book. Excuse me. And some people uh, resented the title, Othello's Children in the New World. What uh, One so-called scholar asked, well, why would he name the uh, the Moors here in the West Othello's children? Of a uh, why would he name them after a fictional character? You know, but actually, it's an allegory. The way Shakespeare, or you can say Francis Bacon, which is Shakespeare, was his uh, mystic name. Okay, for those who didn't know, he used uh, Francis Bacon used William Shakespeare as his code code name, like Prince Hall or Prince Hall was uh, Emmanuel Muali Bay's uh, what we call Benjamin Banneker, his code name. Okay, for those who didn't know, so let me move along here. Othello's uh, Children in the New World were actually it was pattern off of the story of the one of the, uh, I think the Medici sons in Italy, and he was a Moor. One of his sons was a Moor, or some people may say mulatto. He was a Moor, and he had married a European woman. And his European wife, or what you said, uh, as I learned later from Sister Yafa Bay, wife meaning uh, uh, maid servant. So she was having an affair with one of the people in the, or as we can say, in, in one in in his circle. So that's the way that's where uh, Francis Bacon had got the story from. So it, it was actually it was an allegory. Othello wasn't exactly a fictional character. Okay, so I just want to clear that up. Um, other other here other things about uh, when when we use the Black Law Dictionary third fourth or third fourth fifth or sixth edition or seventh edition of the Black Law Dictionary the Bouvier's Dictionary or the Constitutional Law uh, dealing with other dictionaries uh, the Noah Webster's Dictionary of 1828 uh, some of these so-called scholars say well. You're using the so-called white man's books to say that we are not black, you know. Well, let me clear this up also. The science in the books that the so-called white folks use are not their words and not their science. It's our science that they have stolen from us and used against us. I want to get that understanding. It's our science our science, uh, we created 
the color spectrum. Black being void of light, uh, destitute of light, uh, being bad, evil, death, light being pure, good, and righteousness. We created that. That was our science, our science, the science of the aboriginal indigenous people around the planet. Like our science is the so-called of the colors of the liberation colors. A lot of the so-called black nationalists want to apply that, their national flag, to the liberation flag. But I tell you that the rose of liberation colors are the aboriginal indigenous people's colors all over the world. So it cannot be a national flag of anyone. I want to get that understanding also out there. Okay? So... I'm going to start reading from here by Taj Tariq Bay, Grand Sheik. It's called The Rights of Indigenous People. It's called Be of a A General, a Permanent Character Class A. Okay, let me get into this. Okay, let's get into a little bit about nationality, okay? Or we can get into about the rights of indigenous people. Okay? And it says here, well, let me let me straight think about indigenous, why I'm at it. Okay, why I'm at it. Let me straighten this about indigenous people. Since people say, you got some people saying that it comes from the word indigent or indigent. Okay, I'm going to straighten this out for you again. Because I know I did it in previous lectures, the blog talk show. Okay, let's live with the word indigent. Indigent has in the brackets indigent. Has it I N D A J E N T. Okay, it's here indigent. I N D I G E N T. Okay. Okay, so in a general sense, one who is needy and poor, or one who has not sufficient property to furnish him a living, nor anyone anyone able to support him, support him to whom he is entitled to look for support. Term commonly used to refer to one's financial ability. Let me say this again. This term is commonly used to refer to one's financial ability and ordinarily indicates one who is destitute of means of comfortable substance or as to be in want. Okay, has a, a case here, a court case, Powers versus State of Kansas. The case one, uh, number 194-402, pages 328 and 332. Okay, here we have the word indigena, indigena, okay, where the word relates to indigenous, indigena, 
in old English law, a subject born, one born within the realm or naturalized by act of parliament. Okay? Okay, now let's get to the word indigenous. Indigenous, one, born in a native of a country, to bear, to produce naturally, originally aboriginal native. To further specify the nature of indigenous, we must define aboriginal. Aboriginal, according to Black's Law Dictionary, fourth edition, aboriginal, first, first original. First original, the first inhabitants of a country. Okay? Some people want to say, uh, I don't want to say that, I want to say original. Okay, you can say that. But I'm just bringing it down to you. It's all relating to the same thing. Okay, the rights of indigenous people. An important and socially functioning reason that the unconscious Moors of North America are being nationalized and, politi- and politically taken out of the Negro black status is not for them to publicly declare and claim their rightful heir status and to assist in bringing them back into the constitutional form of government. Moors cannot obtain justice, e- equality, and political, political stability under the Negro and black brand tags, which are a fraud. I hope that those who are listening uh, to the blog talk show tonight doesn't want to still hang on to the term black, people of color, and African-American. Listen to exactly what I'm talking about here, what I'm reading to you tonight, okay? I'm going to say this again. Moors cannot obtain justice Equality and political stability under the Negro and black brand tags, which are a fraud. The mass practice of being artificially clothed with European surnames legally compounds the fraud. Such a low state of affairs constitutes a wardship status politically and categorizes those in the subjugation as chattel, corporate property, the Social and Political Redeeming Act of Nationalization, as commanded by Noble Drew Ali, established for the public record that one being more or al Moroccan is now conscious of one's national and sovereign connection to this said government, and thus the relative civic duties and responsibilities accompany their restored proper status. Conscious Moors return to their literary traditions of their ancient forefathers eagerly to go back to studying and working to become more useful members of society. Okay? That's why what it says here. You know, um, now you've got some people saying that... Um, <clears throat> uh, Uh, but I guess people are saying that these are all uh, so-called white laws, you know, and they're not. 
uh, to give you an example of the Constitution of the United States of America, okay, because uh, it is of America, uh, America of the Constitution, the Constitution of America. It is Moorish law. It is the law of the Moors. The Iroquois Confederation, along with other tribal national empires, has had this structure of law long before, centuries upon centuries upon centuries before any so-called white man set foot on these shores, even the so-called Indian or Native American, if you want to know the truth about it, even before them. We already had a structured government here, law, government, jurisprudence, We already had all that here. Or we gave them, or we shared that with them, with the Europeans to stop all these wars between us that we had between ourselves for centuries. One of the put us one of the treaties we have, the Treaty of Peace and Friendship. Uh, look in the look in the Article Six of the Constitution of the United States of America. You will find the peace of the Treaty of Peace and Friendship. Like I said, that is Moorish law, not European law. And what a lot of you debaters always want to debate all the time against the Moorish nationalists, uh, you Moors that talk debate against the Moorish nationalists about the uh, the Constitution, about the Black Law Dictionary, about the Bouvier's Dictionary, about Noah Webster's uh, 1828 American language, uh, English, uh, language of the English. Uh, uh, I mean, the English of, the, of American language are always talking about that's their law, no, all their words, that's their science. No, it is not. You need to stop giving them so much credit. You're giving them too much credit. Hell with them. They ain't all that. Come on. Stop giving them all that credit like that. What's the matter with y'all? And it's amazing what I find that Black power, power to the people, uh, blackness. I'm proud to be black. The power of the black man, the power of the black woman. They've been saying this since the 1960s. Here it is, 2016. What amazes me, and what amazes me, these people haven't even grown up to another level of of. Uh, uh, another level of learning and understanding who we really are. Still, now you must be very, very, very stuck on stupid and parked on dumb. Not just being stupid, but stuck on being stupid. All right, let me finish this out here. With the enforcement of these ancient civilization principles, one is therefore and thereby made worthy of those benefits which a just society has to offer, and in full light status cannot be recognized outside of the honor of one mother's and father's, meaning in full life, meaning in full physical and civil existence. That's what I'm saying, in full life, okay? Move along. The laws which govern nations and nationals upon the earth planet emanates from the nations. 
and harmonious political relationships which are in evidence and embodied within national and international law indicates a general uniform and universal consciousness about the true nature and origin of humane and organized government. Thusly written constitutions are constructed in the nature of the anatomical constitutional makeup of the natural being, universal and knowledgeable, agreed understandings about high civilization, culture, are fundamental to maintaining longevity in civilizations, societies, and fosters peace on earth. About nationality. Okay. What about nationality? Nationality is that qualify of being confirmed and participating part of a nation. Those who are not part of a nation have little or no considerations for them when nations, Congress, and Council and confer to consider the economic and political affairs of the nations. Okay, let's start right here. Like I heard one brother in one of these debates on YouTube, they said that you don't need a nationality. You don't need a nationality. Yeah. He said something that stupid. You don't need a nationality. Uh, some of them can't tell you what their nationality are. It is. They really can't tell you. But they want to argue us uh, about being black and not being no more uh, and so on, you know. That's why I would never participate in any of those debates because it was, it's a waste of my uh, energy and my time while I could be somewhere building and building up a nation and not wasting my time dealing with these clowns. I'm trying to tell them that they're not black and them trying to tell me I'm not a Moor. I don't have time for that. And that shows me, like I said before, that they are stuck on stupid. So why waste my time? Okay, let me move along here. If one is outside of the order of nations, then one is hard pressed to expect the laws of the families of nations to secure one's rights or for the citizens of the nations to come to one's aid or to one's service. This can be mostly crucially understood when one is in need due to negating effects of slavery, forced servitude, human rights, violations, civil disorder, or if one is under colonial occupation as presently exists in North America, the Moors of North America have been told have been held to forced servitude and were by deviants placed outside of the constitutional fold of government by the European occupiers who have branded the Moors as Negroes, blacks, colored, and Ethiopians, ETC. It is definitely vital and important that the true birthright status of the people, Moors, be addressed in a more formal and documented political format and given considerations on a more serious social and political degree and principled level. Thus, the subject matter and issue of permanent character comes into play within the arenas of national, international, and world affairs. 
Does that make sense? Hmm? Okay. <clears throat> I'm going to find, okay, it says Negro, black, and colored. Colored black. Let's look in the color of law in the Black Law Dictionary, 6th edition. Okay? To prove to you what we are talking about is law. And as I said before, these uh, laws did not come from the European. They came from us. Say it again, I say it again, I say it again. It's, their, it's our science that they took from us and used against us. Okay. Now, color and appearance, semblance, or simulacrum as distinguished from that which is real. Did you hear that? Okay. A prima facie or apparent right. An apparent right. Hence, a deceptive appearance, a planable, uh, a placeable, assumed exterior concealing a lack of reality. A disguise or pretext. Hmm. That is a color. This is in the Black Law Dictionary. The which is the appearance only. This is colorable. This is colorable. Colorable. That which is in appearance only and not in reality. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Colorable. That which is in appearance only and not in reality. What it purports, purports to be, hence, counterfeit, seen, having the appearance of truth. Hope a lot of you got this. And those who you want to keep on holding to the uh, term black and people of color. Okay, let me go on here. Color of authority. The semblance, the semblance that semblance or presumption of authority sustaining, sustain, uh, sustaining the acts of a public officer, which is derived from his apparent title to the, to the office to his apparent title, to the author, or from a writ or other process in his hands, apparently valid and regular. Color of law, the appearance or semblance without the substance of legal right. This, under, this is color, color of law. I already read you color, and I already read you colorable. Now I'm reading you color of law. Okay? This is what it says, and the color of law. The appearance or semblance with the substance of legal right, misuse of power, possessed by virtue of state law, and made possible only because wrongdoer is clothed with authority of state. Is action taken under color of state law? I don't need to go any further. I mean, dealing with anything. Color of title. The appearance or semblance or remote look of title. Also termed apparent title. 
any fact extraneous to the act or mere will of the claimant, which has the appearance on his face of supporting his claim of a, of a present title to land, but which for some defect is in, real, in reality in reality falls short of establishing it. I mean, this is just, I mean, you know, um, this is what's going on, y'all. What's so hard to understand about that, what I just read to you tonight? These are books on law. This is the law. So when you go into a courtroom and call them that you're black, they can't really see you. But the also fallible law also falls on the artificial person. You don't get any rights. Black lives matter. Well, no, they don't matter. Because there's no such life as black life. It doesn't exist. If you had a um, artificial plant, would you water it? Someone tell you, oh, I forgot to water my artificial plant. You, you gonna look at look at them like you got got to drink some strange kind of juice or something. You gonna look at him like he he just lost it, or out to lunch. What do artificial plant need with water? What do artificial person need with rights? Artificial person don't have rights or artificial person nor have a have a life for that matter. There's no such thing as a black life. I had a, a, a conversation one time. I went to visit my aunt in in the hospital, and her nurse was Asian. And I asked her, I said, oh, I asked her, by the way, I said, excuse me, ma'am, what is your nationality? I know it's Asian, but what is your nationality? Oh, she says Chinese. Oh, okay. Well, tell me, when you fill out documentations and when you uh, fill out whatever, uh, an affidavit or anything, do, do you put, when they ask, when they have race down there, do you put yellow? And then the lady frowned. Then she said, No. I don't do that. I said, oh. I said, why you say it like that? She said, because we, 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 we don't sign it that way. Uh, okay. I said, well, what, I said, well, ma'am, what is your name? She said, my name is Lily. Oh, that's a pretty name. I said, well, Lily, well, again, why don't you, how, how come you don't say you're a yellow woman or you, you're a yellow race? She said, that's not my race. I said, why not? She said, because people are not covered. That's what she said. People are not colors. You would never hear an Asian woman or man from China, Korea, Japan, or Vietnam, or any other Asian landmass of that continent talking about some yellow power. A yellow power. 
hollering, yellow power, yellow power, yellow power. You never hear them say that. They know there's no such thing. They know that's a crayon, a Crayola. They know that's a fiction. They know, they know that's a status, not an identity. Too smart for that. See, we can even go, let's see, let's see, talking about nationality and birthright issues, we can go to this. The Dred Scott case, the case in which the United States Supreme Court held that the descendants of Africans who were imported into this country and sold as slaves were not included nor intended to be included under the word citizens in the Constitution, whether emancipated or not, remain without rights or privileges except such as those which the government might grant them. How many of us know that we are not U.S. citizens? Not only we are not black, people of color, African Americans, how many of us know that we are not U.S. citizens? And that decision has never been appealed, repealed. That decision has never been overturned. Never. I'm going to put that out there so those of you that didn't know, now you know. Let's look at the Bouvier's Dictionary. This is the Bouvier. This is the a law dictionary adapted to the Constitution, to the Constitution and laws of the United States of America and of the several states of the American Union, with references to the civil and other systems of foreign law. Read this again. A dictionary, a law, a law dictionary adapted to the Constitution and laws of the United States of America and of the several states of the American Union with references to the civil and other systems of foreign law, meaning international law. Okay? Let's see here in the Bouvier's Dictionary. Color. Express color is a theme matter pleaded by the defendant from which which the plaintiff seems to have a good cause, whereas he has no truth, only in appearance, says here, an apparent but legally insufficient ground of action admitted to subsist in the opposite party by the pleading of one of the parties to an action. Hmm. This is this is the constitutional law. The color of office a pretense of official right to do an act made by one who has no such right. Okay? I done read you two different dictionaries, one of the Bouvier and one from the Black Law Dictionary, 4th edition. 
I mean, sixth edition. Sorry. Two different dictionaries of law. And as I say again, those laws were our laws that we had shared and given them to European. Sixteen European sons and 35 Moors, or 36 Moors, I don't remember exactly. Our ancient foremothers and forefathers created that constitution, which is the law of the land, not Europeans. And don't listen to no one talking about, well, they got that from England, or common law come come from England. No, the hell it doesn't. England does not have a written constitutional law. They don't have one. They talk of having one, but they do not have a written constitutional law. Though those of you have probably heard me say this before in previous uh, lectures on certain blog talk shows, well, yes, I'm repeating this again. England does not have a written constitution. So it didn't come from them. Get that straightened out right now. Okay. Okay, let me a several letter more tooth, versus in full life. The social political status and caste position of several letter more tooth means dead in the eyes of the law. This is the past, present, and existing social and political status as assigned to all persons held under the brands and tags of Negro, Black, and Colored, etc. The one hundred and eighty degrees opposite social and political status counter to several letter more tooth and superior and clear natural social, political, and legal status of and full life. And full life was and full life was and is the uncorrupted normal and honorable status as held by the ancient forefathers of these same Moors who have been calling themselves what they are not, Negroes, black, and colors. And you can say African-Americans, people of color, which is the normal terms they use today. Black, African-American, people of color. These are the normal terms that we use today to identify ourselves. Okay? And full life is defined in H.C.'s Black Laws Dictionary and in ancient and modern jurisprudence as continuing in both physical and civil existence. That is, neither actually dead nor civil litter more tooth upon this social political reality and with the moral and spiritual considerations. Noble Drew Ali, or in the parentheses, it says Sheikh Sharif Abdul Ali, which is free national name, declared to the Moors, Be yourselves. And so we are here today to remind you that of that change which must be fulfilled. And it is in your own best interest. And believe and believe me, it is. So, uh, so I mean, I don't know. Uh, like I said, these people are probably some new kind of fools, or new kind of stupid people, or what? You know, because they keep on hanging to that term. Uh, Black people of color, African American. As I say about African American, those are two continents. This is why when I hate 
our people refer to themselves as Afri- African Americans. Those are two continents. Africa has 54 countries, 54 nations. Each one of those nations has 100 different languages, or they say tribal languages. I like to say national languages, but some people still say tribal, so I, I know. Just bear with me on that. In the Americas, there are four continents, of the four, four parts of the continents of the American continent, North America, Central America, South America, and the fourth, the adjoining islands. In South America alone, you have Spanish, you have Portuguese, you have South American Portuguese. Some of the languages of certain tribal nations of the South American continent. Here in North American continent, you have the Algonquin language of the Washita, the Choctaw Washita, Chickasaw, Pawnee, Shoshone, Yarapaho, the Nanape, Nanako, Seminole, Blackfeet, Crow, Cheyenne, Akitiwa, which is known as Cherokee today, Kiowa. Yamasee, Muskogee, these are their national languages. That's why when I come on air, I say, hey, how I tell you, Washita East. That's the Algonquin language of the Choctaw Washita Nation. So we, the Washita, the ancient ones. Like some boys will say, well, they don't want to consider themselves being any part of a nation or what they say a tribe. You know, I say, why not? You go to Africa, to the African continent, you ask them. They don't identify themselves uh, by saying Kenyan or Gambian or I'm Sudanese or I'm Guinea. No, they come by, they identify themselves with their tribal nation first. Yes, they do. You don't believe me? Talk to any of them. You're not going over there and and then they're going to tell you, well, I don't belong to any tribe. No, 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 no. There's no such thing. There's no such thing here. If you want the truth about it. The Aborigine indigenous people in Australian continent, where well, we all know those who do uh, the, uh, the study our history a lot, know what happened to them. But you can't go over there still with a few of them that there. You still can't ask them, uh, tell them that they're not going to tell you they don't belong to no or no nation. I don't know how many of you saw uh, the movie Crocodile Dundee. I don't know if you know the, the movie Crocodile Dundee. If if you have the the, the part two of Crocodile Dundee, when he first came, came uh, to the Amer- to America, and his brother was a chauffeur, and he asked the brother, "Hey, how you doing, mate? Hey, what tribe you belong to?" 
crocodile doesn't do that many any harm. Because this is what he used to in living in, in, in the, uh, uh, being a European in Australia. Me, myself, here in the Americas. You know, uh, they're going to ask you from either one of the continents, well, what, what, well, what nation do you belong to? What is your nation? Me, I like to use a nation better than tribe, but I use tribe, tribe, uh, well, no, interchangeably with nation, so people know what I'm talking about. Okay, you say you're a Moor. Okay, you're a Moor. Okay, you're a national Moor. You're na- you've been nationalized. Okay, nationalizing birthright principles. You have all that intact. Okay. Um, okay, you're here in America. Someone come come over here and ask you from overseas. Okay, um, what part of America of the land of the people that you're connected to? I would say, oh, I am uh, connected to the Washita. Among my Washingtonians, as Dr. Aline would say. I am a Washita Moor. It doesn't uh, bother me a bit if a brother say he's Nanako or Lenape or Akitiwa or Seminole, Black Sea Crow, or what have you. You know, because we all are Moors when we get through talking. All of us are Moors. See, I'm not only talking to those who are not conscious or semi-conscious or to a certain degree of consciousness or those that are not nationalized. I'm talking to those who are nationalized as well. You may hear me use the word Moorish. I use it indiscriminately. But I don't like using the word Moorish. Because it's an adjective, supporting a noun, is saying that you're being like a more, a kind of a more. No, I'm not Moorish. I'm a more. Period. I'm an Aborigine Indigenous American. Some people may have problems with that term. Let's look at Aboriginal. According to the Black Law Dictionary, 4th edition, Aboriginal, first original, the first inhabitants of a country. The above term, as listed, gives a complete and specified or a specific classification of a people who are Aboriginal and indigenous to the land. The misconception that we will lose out in, on some social and economic benefits or that we may be inconvenienced or have Excuse me. Sorry about that. It is the misconception that we will will lose out on some social and economic benefits or that we may be inconvenienced or have a fear of being discriminated against, have caused us a, uh, caused us as a people 
to detach ourselves from our true heritage. These types of negating concepts come from the insufficiency of information. Each nation guarantees its citizens protection on the land by the national constitutions and treaties, and these guarantees are based on the principles of love, truth, peace, freedom, and justice. Consideration that treaties, agreements, and other arrangements between states and indigenous peoples are property are properly 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 matters of international concern and responsibility. Everyone who being Aboriginal indigenous people have the right of autonomy, being independent and living by one's own laws as well as having and possessing the right of enforcing that law. It's doing so nation guards itself from usurpation from other nations. Sincere representatives from several nations convene to assist in the concerns of international conflicts and form an organization known as the United States during the period of World War II, in 1944 to be exact. The United Nations consists of a Security Council, a General Assembly, and of subordinate agencies. The United Nations are lawfully chartered by sovereign ambassadors, which serve as an international treaty for all nations. Every nation, including federal, state, and local authorities, are bound by oath to support. Once you understand yourself, your status, and understand the position that governments hold and their limited delegated powers, then the lion and the lamb can lie down together in yonder hills, and neither will be harmed. The Declaration of Human Rights, which was adopted and proclaimed by the General Assembly of the United Nations, Resolutions 217A, in parentheses 111 of December 10, 1948. I hope all of you got that. It says here, there's going to be a few, just a few articles. One of the key articles in the Declaration of Human Rights is Article 15. Everyone has the right to a nationality. No one shall be arbitrarily deprived of his nationality, nor denied the right to change his nationality. For one to be protected by these human rights, one must declare being human. To begin, human rights pertain to national people only, who are the sovereign people and does not include artificial, corporate, or state war status. I'll read this again. Human rights pertain to natural people only, who are the sovereign people and does not include artificial, corporate, or state ward status. Okay? So this is what I've been telling you. You know, a lot of people want to still, you cannot obtain human rights if you're still calling yourself black. People of color are African American. There's no country called black. Or those who want to uh, hold on to the term black, I tell you what, give me a, a black language. What is your language? What language, what, what nation is that? What is your national language? 
can you give me one? Can you speak one? Please, I want to hear it. Any black nation, black country, and if if they're if they're so, as uh, it uh, is recognized by any of other countries in the United Nations, what is your United Nations project number? Can you give it? Can you give me one? Do you have any representatives or ambassadors, or delegates at the United Nations General Assembly? To speak on speak on your behalf, black people, African Americans, people of color. Can you name me a country called Africa, Africa America? Name me one country on that nation named Africa America. And if so, do you have an African American language? What language do you speak? What is your African-American flag? Again, as I say it again, and I say it again, I say it again, that is the red, black, and green flag is not a national flag. So you cannot claim that as your national flag. That flag was created by our ancient foremothers and forefathers all over the world. So what is your flag? What is your language? Do you have any African-American ambassadors at the UN or the United Nations General Assembly or Council? Do you have them? What is the African-American Constitution? Name me a black constitution. Name me a people of color constitution. Do you have a people of color language? Do you have a people of color nation? If so, where's your flag? Where's your people of color of constitution? Do you have any treaties? Do your black nation, can nation, people of color nation have any treaties? If so, what are they? So are they recognized by any law, national or international law? Can you answer me that? Please, I want to hear it. Okay. I wish I had a keyboard where I can keep people in, but I can't. So I keep on. I like to keep on explaining it to everybody. Because I sure would like to have their feedback on what they have to say about these statements I just made. I'm sure they like. I'm sure they have some, and some of them may not be too good. And I expect that. Okay. I'm gonna read some here and the from the Othello's Children in the New World by Jose Pimienta Bay. It says here the evidence of various disciplines established the viability of pre and post Columbian Af- African contacts with the Americas. 
the work of researchers like uh, von Wuppenau, von Sertima, and Weiner point to the considerable antiquity of such contacts. The artificial, uh, the artificial, uh, I mean the artifactual. Sorry, I'm still, I'm, I'm gonna correct this. The artifactual evidence of von Wuppenau's is especially powerful, and the photos from his text should be seen. Even the writings of early American scholars show that that many European Americans once commonly thought they were ancient links between the Holy Lands of near Asia and the Americas. Scholars commonly argue that the so-called African Negro and the American Indian shared a strong common lineage via such people as the Canaanites and Hamites. Such information was part of the folklore and academic discourses of American society. Now, this is what I'm reading from Jose Pimienta's book. Now, okay? Okay, so bear with me. Such information was part of the folklore and academic discourse of American society. Consequently, any assertions of the MST or Moore Science Temple concerning pre-Columbian settlements of Africoid peoples from the Asian lands of Canaan and Moab and the African continent proved to have been highly progressive contentions for an early 20th century African-American organization. We have even learned that the term Indian was not reserved for continental American natives, but was actually applied to Africans as late as 1822. Okay, I'm going to read this again to you. We have learned that the term Indian was not reserved for continental American natives, but was actually applied to Africans as late as 1822. As I say again, that we were here before the so-called Indians or the Algonquins. We were here, oh, I don't know how many millions of years, because the earliest, uh, what, the, what they call so-called Africoid fossil was here and so far 600 million years ago. So that would predate, uh, oh, I don't know how many millions or thousands of years before the Algonquin or the so-called Indian, Indian traveled across the Bering Straits toward the North American continent through Canada and through here and North America and so on down toward Mexico. Okay? Evidence seeded by Wangara, Winters, Bonserima, and others also illustrated the profound presence and impact of West African Muslim settlers in the Americas. Significantly, such Muslims came from within the boundaries of the old Moorish Empire. Check that out. Mm. Even I can better appreciate what a Moroccan-born friend, Fatima Alawi, told me back in the autumn of 1993. Fatima had stayed with a Cherokee friend on a Cherokee reservation in South Carolina. Like I told you before, which is Akitiwa, but Cherokee more like a political term that they use for them nowadays. Okay, let me go on. She said that after, that after having spoken with a Cherokee elder, he concluded their conversations with, say it again, she said after having spoken with a Cherokee elder, he concluded their conversation with, 
Assalamu alaikum. She said that the elders insisted that it was Cherokee and not an Arabic phrase he picked up. Ain't that interesting? Ain't that very interesting? Okay, one question that might arise from such evidence of cultural, linguistic, and similarities between Africa and America is who initiated what? Okay, now, to that question, uh, like I said before, uh, a lot of us are, like I said, the aboriginal indigenous, the very first inhabitants, the natural people that are natural to the land, okay? That's why I refer to myself as Moor, Aboriginal Indigenous American, which is a Moor, Moroccan. You may hear me refer to myself as Moroccan, Asiatic, a Moabite, Al Moroccan. All these terms apply to us as a people. I apply them to me personally, I apply this to myself. This is what I apply to myself. Fahim with an L, this is what I apply that's what he calls himself. An Aboriginal Indigenous American. More. Asiatic. More bite. Al Moroccan. Moroccan. American. Okay? What I refer to myself as. Now, I may have other Moors, and even in the National Divine National Movement may disagree with me with that, but, well, you know, all I can say about that, what the hell, you know. But this is, uh, well, this is what I refer to myself as. And to be honest with you, I don't give a damn what they think about it, Really? Okay, let me go on. Excuse my language. One question that might arise from such evidence of cultural or linguistic similarities between Africa and America is who initiated what? In essence, were such cultural influence traveling largely from the east, Africa to the west? Americas or vice versa? Okay. This question cannot easily be answered. Well, it cannot be easily answered maybe in some cases. But let's let's, let's ask ourselves. If you read the book uh The First World Order by uh Dr. Asura Aling Nutapak El Bay, you get a, a very much understanding of that question he just asked in this book. Othello's children in the new world. I'm sure you'll get a better answer in the First World Order book by Dr. Eileen L. Bay. Look, I said before, uh, the first F, what so-called, what they call so-called Afrikaid fossil was found here 600 million years ago. Some of you may not believe in the, in the great, in the great drift. Uh, what they what we used to call what they used to call Pangaea, what the African and American continent was connected at one time, because America at one time was known as Asia. Since we were the first uh, people on the planet Earth, 
That's why we are known as Asiatics, a body of people. Before the Great Drift, well, a lot of us was already still here. A lot of us didn't have to really travel across the Atlantic from Africa to inhabit this land. This land was already inhabited. Later years after the Great Drift, a lot of us were crossing the Atlantic, or a lot of people from Africa were crossing the Atlantic back and forth, back and forth, to and fro, you know, via, you know, crossing back and forth, trading, you know, with certain goods, still doing business with the, with our, our our ancient brothers and sisters. This is this is the things our ancient foremothers and forefathers were doing. Long, 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 long before even the European even existed. Okay, let me move along here. Okay. Oh, let me get this scale here. Bear with me here. It says here, but one could argue based upon existing and evidence and the recognized antiquity of Kemet, Egypt, as people uh, call it today, that several components of ancient Kemetic culture passed into ancient America with her ancient settlers and traders. The presence of pyramids in Kemet thought to predate those found in the Americas is one illustration of an African cultural element, which appears to have been the the inspiration for its count, uh, American counterparts. But at but, but as Jack Rutherford indicated, the full record of the history of the ancient Americas is not widely nor comprehensively known. Consequently, it is still wise to be cautious with such a postulate. In what I consider to be a strange stance, American Indian scholar Jack Forbes appears to reject the idea of an ancient African presence in the Americas. He writes, Those who also advocate an African presence in ancient America must go beyond pointing out a particular image as having so-called African features and must proceed in the placing of the image in a complete cultural historical process. Hmm. Evidently, Forbes was neither unfamiliar with or didn't value scholarship evidence of researchers like Werner Van Sertima, Phil, or Von Wuppenau. Forbes does, however, cite eyewitness accounts by early 16th century Spaniards and Venetians indicating that indigenous Americans possess large, Paraguas canoes with oars and sails. His self-evident suggesting that the peoples of the early America, America were clearly capable of of going beyond their continent to engage other areas and peoples. But this influence seems to be that continent, continental Africans were not capable of the same feat. This was his you know, theory. You know, you know the theory. Okay. <clears throat> Forbes also disagrees 
with the often state, stated contention that Africans arrived in the New World essentially replaced Native Americans on the mainland and in the Caribbean, he states, American survivors and African survivors have merged together to create their basic modern populations of much of the greater Caribbean and adjacent mainland regions. <clears throat> See, the thing is, this was uh, uh, Brother Hall Jose Pimienta Bay says, okay, although I agree with Forbes on this issue of ethnic merger, I would maintain that a considerable body of scholarly evidence still indicates that the merging was occurring millennia before Columbus and era of the chattel slavery. Still, Forbes' work, work helps to further illustrate the phenotype and even cultural phenomenonymity which exists between so-called blacks or African-Americans, Indians, it says here, Ford says, America's Indians, Eastern Neo-American. People are part African, American, European, and sometimes Asian, with the African ancestry being very clearly evident. Western Neo-American people are part American, European, African, and sometimes Asian, with the American ancestry being clearly evident, although not always dominant. Okay, now I have, I have a thing to say about this here. As I say before, as I say before here, we were here millions and millions of years before even the European was even, that even, that even exists. There wasn't no European on the planet Earth at that time. So a lot about that shit, I have to dis- dispute that. And I believe I'll win, too. The so-called white people did not exist at that time. We were here longer know the so-called Indian merged with us. That's what happened. Because we were the only ones that was here. You have some uh, Algonquin people or what people would call Indians would tell you that themselves, some that is honest enough. That would come forward, you know, themselves. They had nothing to do with building these mounds or pyramids. I ask you why well, I ask you this. Have you ever seen a uh concrete or a headstone a carved headstone of any so called Indian? Or Native American, in anywhere part of the Americas, North, Central, South, or any of the adjoining islands. The only ones I saw of archaeological evidence of is ours, or what they say, Negroid. The Omex are one. Great big giant carved headstones. Have you seen anyone of the so-called Indians? One. Just name me one. I should say not. I don't know what that tells you all, but I know what that tells me. Clearly. And it's overwhelmingly evidence. Get the book by uh, uh, 
the first Americans were Africans. I forgot the brother's first name, but his last name is Enhotep. Get that book. Read the book, The First World Order, by Dr. Asura Aline Nutapakel Bay. Get the book, The African Discovery of America, by Leo Weiner. Get the book, The History of the Olmecs. Hmm. Okay. Okay, we move around here. Okay. Says here, European Christian nations were clearly and the most advanced in the development. I'm going to read this again. European Christian nations were clearly the most advanced in the development and, re- and, and production of weapons and navies during the 18th century. During the 18th century, they were. Okay. Not surprisingly, then, that they were papal prohibitions upon Catholics regarding the sale of weapons to Muslim countries. Well, let me stop right here. Well, it says here, the Europe. Christian nations were clearly the most advanced in the development and production of weapons and navies. That's true. But it doesn't say where they got the science from. Under the development of these new weapons and navies. Here we go back again. The science of our ancient foremothers and forefathers. We taught them carried the science on after we failed. As Taj Tariq Bey said, we took on their religions and they took on our science. They rose and we failed. And that's a true statement. Okay, so let me go on. Not surprisingly, then, they were papal prohibitions upon Catholics regarding their sale of weapons to Muslim countries. But Britain says Iraq had fewer scruples. Scruples. Iraq says that this was due to a greater mercantile spirit in Britain among the Anglican clerics. Anglican, Anglican meaning Church of England, for those who didn't know. Okay. A, capital A-N-G-L-I-C-A-N. Capital A-N-G-L-I-C-L-N. Anglican. That mean, meaning the Church of England. They had formed a debt after Henry VIII had broken ties with the Roman Catholic Church because they wouldn't give Henry VIII a papal divorce. But that was just another story. So, you know, I'm going to get on back to this this here, okay? The Moroccan ambassadors, Al-Arbi al-Masir and Fadish, in 1764, Tahami al-Madawar and Muhammad al-Saidi, in 1767. In 1767, all had successful missions to Britain and securing arms and English military cooperation. 
This was undoubtedly due to their mutual distaste for Spain and Spanish Catholic power. England had become a Protestant country in the mid-16th century following the birth of its own Church of England, Anglicans, under the rule of the somewhat infamous King Henry VIII, Catholic Spain deemed England a heretical kingdom. Okay. This is where all that coming from. Pound on this, I'm going to move on to something else. Okay. Okay, it says here. The importance of a recognized nationality or nationhood was also quite evident in, in to, uh, to 19th century African, so-called African-American leaders such as Martin Delaney. Delaney wrote, the claims of no people according to established policy and usage are respected by any nation until they are pres- presented in a national capacity. Those who have heard uh, Martin Delaney, you know he was back during the 19th century figure or more. He had fought alongside the Union States of American uh, military forces against the South. Okay? Those of you that know know what I'm talking about, know who I'm talking about, okay? I want to read this again. Okay? It says here, the importance of a recognized nationality or nationhood, one also quite evident to 19th century African-American leaders, such as Martin Delaney. Delaney wrote, the claims of no people according to established policy and usage are respected by any nation until they are presented in a national capacity. That's true. only thing I disagree with it when he referred to Martin Delaney as an African-American leader, but I'm going to let that pass. I'm not going to go into that right now. Okay. It says here, special treatment and considerations for specified Africans and Indians. And citing the research of historian James Ballage, Paula Giddings points out that during the first years of the African presence in North America, blacks had a higher status than any other service because the circumstances of their seizure put them under the protection of international law. They use the term black, but I don't know. You can get, you can get uh, past that black and African-American thing, you know, it'd be all right. Okay, the first Africans worked as servants of the colonial administ- administrators. Africans worked out their indentures and several subsequently purchased large parcels of land and the service of their own servants. Okay. Now I want to put this point out something here. Uh, I'll be I'll begin to the term black in a few minutes. And the etymology dictionary, where the word came from, because the etymology deals with the history and the origin of words, the roots of words, where they came from, which is the original meaning of a word. Okay. English history reveals that uh, so-called white was customarily used by royalistic, the aristocratic caste class to symbolize themselves. 
The esoteric Knight Templar of Europe's medieval era was spoken of as a living and pure and white life. White was understood to designate purity as well as God and given authority, which is a caste system. It's a status, not identifying a group of people. Because you get a lot of these so-called black nationalists always saying black power, black power, black power, always giving them the European status all the time. Even Sar said he said it uh, in the hall of one of those disputes they had in, on, his, on YouTube that said about the Black Law Dictionary, uh, the white, uh, somehow, oh, that's the white man's uh, uh, thing right there. Still giving the European this God status. Still giving it to him. Still telling his people that Europeans are gods, ruler of the land. Has gotten and the term has doesn't have anything to do with them because the term was originally ours, referred to us Asiatic people, Moors. But I'm gonna get to that later and later on in the show. As I but right now I'm gonna read this off to you. Um, I'm gonna read this over again. Because I want to make this clear to a lot of people, okay, because they didn't understand what I was saying. English history reveals that white, white was customarily used by royalists, the aristocratic caste class system, to symbolize themselves. Not, and what he's saying is, not to the, uh, to say. European people as white people. They weren't talking about that. They are talking about a classification, a status, okay? Okay, the esoteric Knights Templars of Europe, medieval era, were spoken of as living a pure and white life. White was understood to designate purity as well as God given authority. During England's War of the Roses, the ruling warriors took as their symbol the white rather than the red rose. That's what they chose, the white rose. It had nothing to do with a people's skin complexion or color. The War of the Roses, was, was, uh, they were worn on each other. So it couldn't have meant, couldn't have meant them being uh, so-called white people. They know that was a caste. They know that was a status. That put them in the highest status. God, ruler of the land. That they put them in that status. That's what they choose the white rose over the red. Okay, let me go on here, so we get a clear understanding here. Doing as I said, the ruling waters took this as a rather the red. Okay, I said it already. Even in Russian revolutionary history, the white rather than the red. Right, aristocrats referred to the English as the whites, and opposite to the reds, because at one time during the, what they called the Bolshevik Revolution in 1917, when the, uh, the communists supposed to took over Russia at that time, when it became the Soviet Union. 
had white Russia against red Russia, because red represents the communists, or represents the Bolsheviks. Bolshevik meaning majority. Against the Mensheviks, which represents the white Russians. Mensheviks meaning minority. But those of you that know history know that the red or uh, communist triumph over the white Russians during the, uh, the uh, so-called Bolshevik Revolution. Okay, so these are caste systems, red and white. Those are caste. They weren't talking about red Russians. Russians being the skin color being red, or the Russians being the skin color being white. They weren't talking about that. I'm saying this so you can get a clear understanding of this color BS. Why you shouldn't call yourself black. It has nothing to do with uh, the, 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 oh, that's, that's the so-called white man's uh, words or science that you take it. No, that's not. That's our science. They got from us. Here it is. In 1682, another Virginia law was enacted to fix a loophole not filled by the 1670 law. And the author Forrest points out that many Negroes, Moors, Mulattoes, and others, although born in non-Christian countries, were avoiding servant-class social status by professing Christianity. In 1682, Virginia law was designed to address these Christianized Negroes, mulattoes, or Indians, as well as the Jews, Moors, Mohammedans, and other infidels. So that same 1682 law recognized the rights of Turks and Moors in amity with the British crown such Moors and Turks were exempt from the servant class legal status. Say that again. Such Moors and Turks were exempt from servant class legal status. The need for such a law clearly indicates that there were significant numbers of Moors living in the colonial America. Also indicates that some Moors in the Americas were not treated with the same difference as those Moors who were officially recognized as being in enmity with the British crown. Lastly, the distinction made between the Moors and the Mohammedans indicates that the Moors were not necessarily followers of Arab or Mohammed, Mohammedan-centered Islam, like we are. We are not followers of the Islam in Saudi Arabia or the so-called Middle East. We don't deal with that Islam. We deal with Islamism. Or, as we can say, that old-time religion. Says in the Virginia Law of 1748, Act 9 was see English authorities taking steps to make designated European Christians ineligible for servant status in the colonies. And this 1748 Act implies that up until that time, anyone including Englishmen 
could carry servant status within the American colonies. But now this 1748 Act specifically declared in Virginia, no Negro, mulatto, Indian, although a Christian or any Jew, Moor, Mohammedan, shall purchase any Christian white servant. That's when they were coming with the color cast system. It says here, dealing with the Barbary treaties, upon observing some of the major treaties drawn between North Africans, Europeans, and the United States, it is clearly apparent that more was a specific reference to those persons within the, these dominions of the Moorish Empire. We note in the Morocco Treaty with Britain, June 14, 1801, that was the first Barbary War between us and the U.S., the Pacific uses the term more in the U.S. Treaty with Tripoli, February 23rd, June 10th, 1805. The Pacific term of Tripoline is used to refer to those North Americans treated with in the Treaty of Alge- Treaty of Peace with Algiers and Algiers. Hence, one must understand that when used in treaties, more was clearly not a general reference for any and all Africans or dark-skinned persons everywhere, legally and diplomatically, more designated only for those persons whose ancestry and allegiance was understood to have been linked to the dominions, then recognized as part of the Moorish Empire. Now let me clear something up here. Like I said, this is Jose Pimienta's book that he wrote, Othello's Children in the World. I don't care whether you call yourself Hebrew-Israelite, Christian, Muslim, Muslim, Jew, Buddhist, or whatnot, you are a Moor. They talk as though as Moors was a certain group of people, or continental uh, people in Europe, some 711 to 1492, you know, this is where they, but no, Moors were all over the world. You have Zulu Moors. You have Bantu Moors. You have Moors all over Africa. They are Moors. In the Americas, we all are Moors. And in, in Australia, we all are Moors. And all over there, we are Moors. More and many earth-connected people people that are connected to the earth land or the earth. That is a moor. You hear, you drive by down streets, you, just, you see na- streets named moorlands, south moor, brent moor, north moor, ridge moor, mount rush moor, talking about land. We are land-based people, not black. You have some of these so-called scholars saying that more means black. No, it does not. It never did. More was created by the Europeans. No, it was not. More is an old word, old term. It's ancient. Started from the word mu. Then moor, M-U-R. 
than Moor, M-U-U-R, Aborican, Aborican, A-M-U-R-U-K-A-N, Aborican, Moor, Aborican, Moroccan, Al-Moroccan. That's where our names come from. From the great land in the Pacific called Elmoria. But they are trying to confuse you by saying Lemoria. But Dr. Eileen has straightened me out on that on that word, on that term, on that word, that name. It's Elmoria. Elmore. It's an ancient, not modern. And it doesn't mean black. When the Greeks uh, uh, first started that, that mess, they were de- describing what we will look like, what Moors look like. In England, in England, uh, they they were uh, working in these coal mines, and sometimes some of the British uh, uh, coal workers will get a lot of coal uh, by accident splashed on them. And they would laugh at him. They would say, ooh, look at you. You are as black as a boar. So they know who we are. Go to Mexico. Uh, what, what, they ask them, what do they call us? They say, Marino. They are talking about uh, uh, men. They're talking about us as men. They're talking about our women. They say, Marina. That's for a boy woman. Marina. And Marino for males. They know we Moors. Well, hell, everybody else know we Moors except us. You go to Germany, uh, you see a lot of uh, statues, uh, drawings, picture drawings of us. You know, concrete stat, uh, statue of one of us on a certain bridge in Nuremberg, Germany. He had woolly hair. On the screen it said Mohrenkopf. In German that means moorhead or head of a moor. There are different uh, uh, coffee shops, uh, certain restaurants, certain businesses in Germany. It says Mohren. And it's a very dark head figure of a boar on outside of those buildings. You don't believe me? Go to YouTube and check out the Canaanland Moors. Check it out. And it says the Moors in Germany. Check it out on YouTube. And he has his young brother has his proof. Like they say, the proof is in the pudding. Hey, because in Germany they hold us in high esteem. They don't hide it. So, let's go to the Chambers Dictionary here. Let's take a look at the Chambers Dictionary. Let's take a dive in the Chambers Dictionary. Okay. 
Okay, here, let's, let's deal with the word black. Yeah, let's deal with this. Says so here, black. Adjective. Okay, this is the Chambers Etymology. Is it, oh, this is the Chambers Dictionary of Etymology. Meaning the root word in the history of words. See, I'm not talking about just any ordinary dictionary now. I'm talking about an etymology dictionary. Okay? What else do you need? Okay? Let me go on to it. Black. Adjective. Says there black. B L A C. And Old English. Black. Black. Blege. And the Old English, a cognate with Old High German. Blah. B L A H. Black. B L A C H. Old Icelandic. Blacker. B L A K K R. Dun and is sometimes confused with Old English. Black, shining, white. You hear what I said? This was its original meaning in Old English. Okay, say it again. Shining, white, dense, Old Icelandic. Black, pale, whitish. Because it really meant whale or pale. Because the status originally belongs to us as Moors. Now, your argument will will no longer be with me. Your argument will be with the Chambers Dictionary of Etymology. This is where your argument would be. No longer with me. Okay? That's what it says here. I didn't write this book. European wrote it. Huh? But like I said, they stole our science. And I said, I said again, Taj Bay said, hey, they, hey, they took on our science, we took on their religions, beliefs, systems. They rose, we fell. They turned our science against us. They switched statuses with us by calling themselves white. God, ruler of the land. But actually, the status belongs to us. It has nothing to do with a a person's skin complexion. It's a status, a caste system. It's a classification, not an identity. You don't, don't have to believe what I said. Get the book or go online. Look for Chambers Dictionary of Etymology. The origins and development of over 25,000 English words. I say it again. The origins and development of over 25,000 English words. Check it out. And it will bear witness to what I just told you. It will bear witness I don't know how many thousands of boys like myself, like Dr. Arlene, Kadira L. Bay, 
Sister Ras Mariah Bay, Tariq Bay, Brother Abdullah Il Talib Mosi Bay, my good brother there. Uh, 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 you name him, Brother Sabir Bay, Brother Grand Sheik Divine Nature El Bay. Well, a lot of our brothers, Brother Sharif Nail El El Bay. From Temple 11 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Brother Kudra Abwael. Caroline Moore from Canada. He's been telling you. We all been telling you. This book supports what we've been telling you all along. The book supports all the way from the prophet. Brother Ali. Or they say his free national name, Sheikh Sharif Abdul Ali. That was over 102 years ago. Damn. Come on, people. I just proved my point. So, I mean, like I said, I wish I had a Black Law Dictionary, I mean, I wish I had a, uh, not Black Law Dictionary, but a uh, <clears throat> keyboard, which I can key a lot of people in for their comments. And I know they can say what they disagree with, they agree with what they don't disagree with, or whatever. No. <clears throat> now we can go into the called the Civil War and the US color of law. A broad range of social and political abrasions accompanied by immoral and spiritual issues, problems, stem directly from the subversion and subjugation of the Moors of North America, the imposition of the brands of tags, nigger, negro, black, and colored, etc., coupled with misguided low esteem, social sensitivities, were designed as psychological, mental disconnects, dis- dis- disconnect us, uh, our heritage and blood lineage. You could take the... Um, I'm going to read something else. I'm going to go back to this, but I'm going to read to you something else. It's, in, it's from the Black Law Dictionary. Okay? Stealing with black again. Okay. I'm going to go back to that. I'm going to deal with this here. Says here, Black Cold. Black Cold. This is the fourth edition of the Black Law Dictionary. Fourth edition. A name given collectively to the body of laws, statutes, and rules enforced in various southern states. 
prior to 1865, which regulated the institution of slavery, and particularly those for bidding their reception at public ends and on public conveniences. And it falls under civil rights. This is the Black Code of 1724, which is still in effect today. Those who were heard of the Sundry Moors in South Carolina, that's why they wanted to be tried under the Constitution instead of the Christian Black Codes of 1724. So they tried under the Constitution. That means they try. They're being tried. They're getting justice done under the Black Code of 1724. On 1724, you don't get no justice done. You get something done to you, but not anything for you. Like I said it before, and I say it again: if you call yourself black, African American, color. Negro colored these seven these Christian codes seventeen twenty four applies to you. If you call yourself a more an Aboriginal or Aboriginal indigenous woman or man, child Moroccan or more, you then depicted in these then the, the Christian Code of 1724 do, do not apply to you. It do not apply to you. Because I said this before in my other previous lecture on the Block Talk Show, so I'm not going to keep repeating that. Okay, I'm going to move on to something else. I just want to share that with you. Now I'm going to go back to the uh, where I was reading to you before here. Okay. <clears throat> The Civil War in the U.S. Color of Law, a broad range of social and political abrasions accompanied by immoral and spiritual issues and problems stem directly from the subversion and the subjugation of the Moors of North America. The imposition of the brands, U.S. tax, nigger, negro, black, and colored, etc., coupled with misguided low esteem social sensitivities were designed as psychological mental disconnects. The Civil War political coup, suppression, and overthrowing of the original United States Constitutional Republic was successful. It neutralized the de jure, meaning lawful law, and de jure and lawful Republican form of government. This is Societas Republica e El Americanos, one of the first political acts initiated by the slave holding Europeans was to dismantle the Republican form of government, which is our government. Uh, you should be now as overthrown. Okay? And all the southern states of the Union to effectively undermine the constitutional contract, which kept them in check. The subverters and the conspirators amongst the occupational European colonial powers initiated the Civil War circa day 12, April 1861, in the year of domination, until day 85. This is when General Lee surrendered all the Confederate forces to Grant's forces in Appomattox, Virginia. 
surrendered their title, sovereignty. Not their sovereignty, because they never was sovereigns. But he surrendered their title, sovereign, sovereignty. Therefore, they were really worse off than the slaves they had. Because most of the so-called white people in the South were slaves themselves. Under the European brethren and under the Moors as well. We all know that Moors enslaved Moors, but they also enslaved the Europeans. They had land down there as well. During the Civil War, there were only recorded five slave owners. Europeans, that is. But a lot of us, reason why we fought with the Confederacy, because we had land. We had a lot of land in the South. And, and, and some of us still do. Quietly, quiet as it kept. So when they submitted, submitted the, uh, the Southern Europeans titled sovereignty over, so they had no nationhood at all. So they were really messed up. But anyway, um, I'm probably had it on another lecture, but I'm going to go on with this for right now. Okay. One of the first political acts initiated by the slave holding Europeans were to dismantle the Republican form of government and all of the southern states of the Union to effectively undermine the Constitution contract, which kept them in check. The subverters and conspirators amongst the occupational European colonial powers initiated the Civil War circuit. I already read this already. I'm sorry. See, the true function of the Civil War was to artificially create the political circumstances and atmosphere which availed the Whigamore Whig Party, better known as the subversive members of the White Supremacy Party, to overthrow the legitimate constitutional republic whose ancient jurisprudence principles descended down from the Moorish law of the great peace so much emphasized has been historically put upon addressing the high levels of blood and carnage due to the Civil War and that little is told about the hidden motives and the attendant effects of undermining the Republican form of government. Few students of history are aware of the fact that through the peace amity and commerce agreements authorized to and by the aboriginal sovereign moors, the United States Republic and its constitution was established. Yeah, few people know about this. Okay. Upon the upon the foresaid successful defeat and subjugation of the rifle People to overthrow overthrown Moors were forcibly and falsely branded as Negroes, niggers, blacks, colors, etc. The Moors' ancient and de jure law and their organic and principal great seal government was veiled over by the U.S. democracy impostors. Express in simple terms, one would say that the European impostors traded places with the legitimate government. That's what they did. Like they traded places places with the white status and the black status. 
This is what happened, y'all. They took on our sciences and used them against us. So when people come and tell you, oh, those are the white man's laws, those are the white man's laws, y'all taking what the white man say? No. We're taking, uh, we're taking what our science says, that the, that the so-called white man has stolen and used it against us. That's what we're doing. It's true law. The Constitution is our creation, not theirs. They signed it. Signatures are on the Constitution because they signed it. Like the Treaty of Peace and Friendship, which is the oldest treaty in the world, signed every 50 years. But it's for the Europeans' benefit, mostly, than it is for ours. So I want you all to remember that. And the reason why they keep signing a 50-year peace and treaty and friendship because they want to stay here. If not, they will have to leave. They have to pack up and go back to Europe, dumped over here. Let me move along. Okay. Expressed in simple terms, one would say that the European impostors traded places with the legitimate government. This abridgment of truth, fiction, of identity, theft of land, heritage, and language brought about an important and an opportune time for the socialization criminals to establish a keen credibility for the colorable and forced introduction of such disassociation words. These fictions, words are crucial social vehicles used to feed the European politically created nigger industry and were cleverly used to institutionalize bureaucratic slavery, or bureaucratic slavery. Excuse me. Herein lies the sorcery nurtured application of using the colored le- legislative instrument, being the unconstitutional and fiend as ratified adaptation of the 14th Amendment, which was never properly ratified. Okay? This colored and never properly ratified, ratified amendment created the corporate artificial person. The major component is evidence and proof of the artificial reality of the 14th Amendment is the fact that they are not and never has been any natural person such as Negroes, niggers, blacks, etc., attached to the human family. No such human beings exist. However, they are shadow brands of European-owned corporate property, which are and is designated and marked by the Negro, nigger, black code's names. Okay? They're getting ready to cut me off, so I'm going to keep on going. Okay. The greatest dedicated political they're gonna cut me off, so you know, get me prepared for it, all right? All right, I'm gonna keep on going. The greatest dedicated political and social engineering code efforts which put forth to solidify the colorful uh, political acts during the Civil War era grand scale undertaking were initiated to establish color of law, laced with permanent colorable forms of inquisition, superiority laws. Crusades initiatives are often guised as martial law, sextuples with colorable courts and birthrights stealing Christian black codes. These are the slave governance, 
codes established by the church in the year 1724 and the year of domination. Okay, I'm going to cut it off right here. And as I say to you, Mawasama Dakuna, peace family. And I hope I have enlightened a lot of you tonight. And I see you, uh, I'll talk to you again next week. Until then, peace.